The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. With me are Sean Corner and Chris Ravon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics. And Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network. They are two of the best fantasy football rankers in the business and joining us is the girl who got away the dave mustaine to our metallica the uh, james harden to our early 2010s okc thunder i'm talking about ian harditz fantasy football analyst at pro football focus ian thanks for joining us how's it going thanks for having me again dudes as uh, michael scott would say you know the turns tables so it's good to uh good to be back chatting with you guys it's uh you know middle of july but never a bad time to talk some fantasy football our last NFL episode, we had Evan Silva, who helped us break down the top 12 fantasy quarterbacks by average draft position. In this episode, we were talking with Ian about his basic approach to the quarterback position, and we we're breaking down all those late-round quarterbacks, the guys outside of the top 12. If you like what you hear, give us that five-star rating, leave a review. We would appreciate it. Gentlemen, let's get into it. Ian, your approach to the quarterback position in fantasy, I'm assuming like most sane people, uh, it tends to the uh, the late round strategy. But how are you approaching quarterbacks for 2020? Yeah, I mean, you said it is a pretty basic strategy. It's just wait, 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 and see what happens. And obviously in two QB leagues or super flex, maybe you got to try to get one of those top seven dudes that can give you the true, you know, high ceiling with the dual threat floor. But there's like tw- almost 25 guys, if you have enough drinks in you, you could talk yourself into this year. And I mean, especially for me, I'm just continuously – coming away with Joe Burrow and Cam Newton, my QB 12 and QB 13. Most people have them down around the QB 20 range, so I'm happy to scoop up these future QB ones and fantasy drafts of all shapes and sizes. All right, what are the, uh, what are the stats and factors? This is going to be a good show. We're going to have some good conversation here with Rayvon, who's going to push back against some of this. Uh, what are the stats and factors you look at to predict quarterback performances for the upcoming season? Uh, a lot of it's been uh, continuity stuff recently because, look, every situation is different. And I know, you know, we can look at touchdown rates and assume they're going to regress to the guy's career average and things like that. But overall, I'm just trying to see what has changed from this quarterback situation 2019 compared to 2020. And, you know, article I pushed out yesterday was looking at the offensive lines, the wide receiver rooms, even the coaching staffs because, you know, we see how for sure things can go south very quickly. And then it's only after the fact we kind of point to that OC change or, hey, you know, Jared Goff last year the guy's got a terrible offensive line or baker mayfield hey maybe the browns cutting their left tackle one week before the season in a cost saving move that was a red flag so little things like that uh, and then also just early schedules i think because in general i think we kind of overrate the uh, um overall like season long strength of schedule it's just hard to know how defenses are going to be in 2020 compared to how they were in 2019 but early on in the season i think you can get a little uh, edge there especially you know i'm sure we'll get into some of the schedules but josh allen you know pretty wild into the season but pretty strong start so at, at a minimum I think we can get some value based on what the guys are doing first four six weeks you know 
season week one through 17 doesn't tell me all that much, but I think just early season schedule, continuity around the offense, see what's what. Last episode, we looked at those guys in the top 12. And so talking about obviously Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes as the guys in their tier unto themselves in the top two. And then you had the guys after that, the, the foursome of Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen as kind of this guy in his own tier. And then uh, a five of Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. Ian, out of those guys, if you had to take a quarterback in the top 12, which one of those guys stands out to you as the one that you'd want most? Yeah, you know, value adjusts is just keeping in mind average draft position. I'm looking at Carson Wentz. I mean, this – I don't think – I think we forget how high this dude's ceiling was in 2017 and just how good he was for those 13 games before he got injured. I mean, true MVP favorite before he went down. And if you look what was so good about that Eagles offense, I mean, they had Hurts, they had Jeffrey, they had the guys that can attack in the intermediate areas of the field. Those are the field stretchers that really helped him out, I think. And it was Torrey Smith and a rookie year version of Matt Collins that could actually ball a little bit. What happened in 2018? There, Torrey Smith replaced him. Mike Wallace out by week one. Holland's out the whole season. 2019, we saw Deshaun Jackson just go off in week one, not play the rest of the season. They were trying out, you know, things called Joshua Perkins by the time it came down to try to make the playoffs. So now they have Deshaun Jackson, Marquise Goodwin, Jalen Rieger, even their later round wide receivers, John Hightower and uh, Quez Watkins. There's speed everywhere. And we know the tight ends are great. We know Miles Sanders is great. I think those intermediate and underneath areas of the field will be more wide open than ever. Wentz already has a sneaky rushing floor. Tybert Ryan Fitzpatrick for 10th most yards of the position last year. He was already a QB1 in 2019 in terms of just total fantasy points throughout the season. Anyone's idea of an upgraded offense. A little worried about the offensive line injuries they've had to figure out, but I think the ceiling's a roof for Carson Wentz in 2020. All right, let's start digging into some of these quarterbacks, and I've broken them into buckets. And, you know, any uh, rubric isn't always perfect, but I think there are some key ways in which drafters are kind of grouping these guys together and thinking about them. And so I want to start with some of the quarterbacks who have uh, injury concerns or guys who are coming back from injury. And so uh, the guy who's going off the board just outside of the top 12, you have Matthew Stafford going as a 13th quarterback. Uh, and then Ben Roethlisberger as the 19th quarterback. And then, I mean, Raybon, the, the guy we're going to be talking and debating about all offseason, Cam Newton going as the 21st quarterback off the board. Ian, out of these guys, uh, who's the one you really want the most of? It's Cam Newton. I have Stafford ranked a little bit higher, but just in terms of difference in my rank in the average draft position, I'm, I'm getting Cam in like every single league, guys. And I just think the concerns are why he's priced as low as he is. We haven't seen him play since the first half of 2018 at a high level, but every time we have seen him play for 16 games or even just the portions he has played, he's been anyone's idea of a QB1. Yet we're still ranking him outside the top 20 because there's this night, there's this idea in the air that fourth-round pick Jarrett Stidham and 34-year-old Brian Hoyer could somehow challenge Cam freaking Newton for this starting spot. I don't see it. He's got the rushing upside. He's with coaches now that all they've done throughout their entire career are change the offense to their strengths, attack the defense's weaknesses. I mean, uh, PFF Seth Galina wrote an awesome piece right when this thing happened where he was just pointing out, go back to 2016 when Brady was suspended and Jimmy G got hurt. Short week with Jacoby Brissett changed the whole offense. They're running some great triple option looks. Edelman going in the background. I just think we're going to see Cam unleashed to the, the best of his talents. Are those talents still at a QB1, QB3 level? I don't think so, but borderline QB1 is all we need to smash this value currently. All right, I'm just going to say, I believe that when it's all said and done, 
before the season starts, a lot of people are going to be ranking Cam Newton in the top 12. I even think maybe top eight. Uh, I think his ADP is going to really move up that way. Uh, and Raybon, you have him ranked number 28 right now. Uh, tell me what's going on with your rankings and why you are wrong. What an intro, Friedman. So essentially, Cam Newton right now is a backup. And I'm not drafting a guy that might not be starting in week one. And it's simple as that. And I've gone on record as saying, hey, if Cam Newton is the starter, if he wins the starting job, he's going to be top 12 for me. But right now he's a backup. And everyone in fantasy says Cam Newton's going to be the starting quarterback. But if you look at people that understand the Patriots, like, for example, former Patriot quarterback Scott Zolak, he thinks it's going to be Jared Stidham, and I can't argue with these people because I just don't think the Patriots are an organization that would wait until late June, early July to bring in their starting quarterback. After they had all these meetings all offseason when everyone was sitting around doing nothing, I just don't think the Patriots think like that. So I think while we all see Cam Newton and remember what he did for a decade and, his, and the fact that he only finished outside the top 12 in fantasy once, I think the Patriots just see – uh, a high upside backup that it would have been wrong not to take a flyer run. And I think it's as simple as that. I think Jared Stidham, they intend him to be their starter. Whether that plays out in the preseason, fine. But I'm not going to rank a guy significantly higher when I don't think he's going to be the starter. So right now I have him pretty much split in terms of games played. Cam is going to come out on top because I have him, you know, he has the better track record. But I don't know if he's the starter. It's plain and simple. I have never felt so good about a take before <laughs> in my life based on the fact that you just mentioned Scott Zolak as the authority that you're clinging to. <laughs> like, we've, we've won this that's, debate. The, the Cam thing. Newton truthers just won. No one knows the Patriots, though. That's the thing. Everyone thinks they know the Patriots. The Patriots don't make sense half the time. So it's like Cam Newton was sitting on a couch all offseason. Nobody signed him. The Patriots are just smarter than every other team for taking a flyer on him. That doesn't mean he's automatically the starter. I'm not saying he's not winning the job in the preseason. I'm not saying he's not, he can't win the job during the season. I'm saying right now, we can't just assume that he's a starting quarterback. That's all I'm saying. Raybon, a couple of things. One, everyone was sitting on the couch this preseason. <laughs> okay. Okay. Two, you can say that no one knows the Patriots and fine. Maybe that's the case, but we know Cam Newton and we know Jared Stidham. This isn't rocket science. This is like evaluating one guy who's actually played snaps in the league at a very high level versus a guy who uh, has, what, thrown four pass attempts? Like, it's, this isn't something that should be that hard. Let me give you an example. If it was Cam Newton versus Jimmy G, before we knew anything about Jimmy G, what would everyone have said? They would have said, it's obviously Cam Newton. But, in fact, the Patriots would have probably gone with Jimmy G, and they might have been right. So I'm just saying we, the unknown with Stidham drives everybody away from him. But, Sean, I'll put it to you this way. First team, first snap of camp. Cam Newton's not coming in and taking that first snap under center. You can't spell camp without Cam. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that makes me feel better about this is Rayvon did admit, I mean, if Cam is a starting quarterback, he's going to rank him in the top 12. And I'm looking at the DraftKings odds right now. They have Cam – Minus 400 to start week one, and Stidham's plus 300. I have no reason to dispute those odds. Those sound pretty good to me. And I, I get your point, Raybon. I just think right now, if he's being drafted 20th, there, there's really no downside in drafting him. I mean, it's basically a no-risk pick with pretty high upside. So, you know, in this range, that's pretty much who I'm targeting. Now, if Cam Newton's ADP goes up to, you know, 
within the top 14. I'll be right there with you, Raybon, and probably fading him. But again, we, we really don't know his health right now. So I think once we get reports that his shoulder and his foot are fine, we're going to see his ADP skyrocket. So uh, I can get behind Ian's plan of loading up right now when he's, you know, the 20th QB off the board, and we'll kind of wait and see um, closer to the season. But yeah, I, I think for sure he's starting week one if he's healthy. I'll give you plus 350 on Stidham. Okay. I'm going to want to get in on this. I think everyone's going to want to get in on this. Anyway, okay. I want to talk about the, the other two quarterbacks who have injury concerns because they are, I think, also really intriguing uh, in Matthew Stafford and Ben Roethlisberger. So Stafford missed eight games last year, but in the first eight games of the season, he was actually number two overall uh, in quarterback points per game scoring. He has, I think, a, a pretty strong wide receiver unit in Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and Danny Amendola, and then upcoming uh, pass catchers and tight end TJ Hawkinson running back DeAndre Swift, and then Ben Roethlisberger missed almost the entire season. It's been years since we've seen him play without Antonio Brown, but he was the number three fantasy quarterback in points per game in 2018, and he also has strong wide receivers in Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, and James Washington, Uh, and that doesn't even take into account rookie Chase Claypool. Ian, where are you on these two quarterbacks? Do you think that they have, I don't want to say like high-end QB1 upside, but do you think that they will provide value based on their ADPs? Yeah, I'm definitely a bit higher on Stafford. You know, he, he could provide that at least top four QB upside like he did last year when he was on the field. And this is the 2019 version of Matt Stafford, but so different than the previous, like, decades worth pretty much. I mean, how many years did we just see Stafford wasting away, checking the ball down to Theo Riddick and throwing, you know, five-yard crossers to Golden Tate all game? Daryl Bevel came to down, and he let Matt Stafford sling it, like, wild. You know, let one of the strongest-armed quarterbacks in the league Throw downfield and good thing happen. Good things happen. Career best marks and touchdown rate, yards per attempt, adjusted yards per attempt. QBR, he was doing it at the highest deep ball rate in the entire league, highest aggressive rate. These lines were legit. And you know, they were only three, four, and one when uh Stafford went down. But you look a little closer at that. And I know we can kind of play hindsight with a lot of these games, but we had that weird, weird Chiefs game where we had 99-yard fumble returns going the other way, and the Lions more or less outplayed them. Then we had the Packers robbery, which people were even talking about. Can we reverse that? you know, win-loss record on the scoreboard. So quietly, they could have been 5-2-1 and with Stafford. I think the NFC North is kind of down, guys. I love, I love the Lions' chances just to win the whole NFC North. I know they're the Lions. I know Patricia's still there. But Stafford, before he got hurt, it was Stafford, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, the MVP conversation. He was playing that well. All right, Rayvon, any thoughts on Stafford and or Roethlisberger? (laughs) Like that's really, I think that's the, how to sum up the rest of these quarterbacks. There are a couple of quarterbacks from targeting. I think if you're differentiating between Stafford and a lot of these other pocket quarterbacks, Roethlisberger, um, et cetera, you're really looking to stream the position. I don't think any one of these guys are guys you should depend on for the entire year. So if I'm looking at Stafford versus Roethlisberger in particular, I'm looking at the week one schedule. Stafford's playing at home against the Chicago Bears. That's a tough defense. Roethlisberger's going to New York to face the Giants. That's an easy defense. So uh, in this situation, I think you have to go Roethlisberger just because um, I think if you're drafting outside that top seven or so, you're, you have to have a week-to-week mindset, even if you're hoping that one of these guys hits and, and, and you can keep them for the whole season as your quarterback one. I think you have to have that streaming mindset. So I'd be looking at early season schedule. 
Yeah, and, and real quick, I know Big Ben home away splits have been, you know, the talk of the town for the last five years. 2018, those went away. I mean, Big Ben actually averaged 21.7 fantasy points per game on the road, 21.5 at home. So before anyone says he's got to travel to New York, I mean, and who even knows if we should worry about home and away splits this year with uh, no crowds and that stuff. But, yeah, definitely not something to worry about with Big Ben. On the road, it doesn't seem as if it would be nearly that big of a deal if there aren't any fans in the stands. Right, yeah. I mean, we, we don't really know how big of an impact crowd uh, had on Big Ben splits, but it's definitely a good point. Um, it should neutralize everybody's home away splits. Um, but I think that's, that's sort of the larger point of this whole outside of the top 12 uh, QB. Um, for me is, you know, I, I made it very clear in redraft leagues, if I don't get one of the top six QBs, I'm just streaming the position. So, you know, all of these guys in the right matchup, I'm willing to roll out there in a redraft league. So that's, that's kind of how I'm approaching all these guys. Um, so Big Ben, we know the spots where he's going to smash. And, you know, Matthew Stafford, um, he's probably being drafted a little bit too early in my opinion, but um, I'm not too concerned about the, the injury. He, he did start, you know, 136 consecutive games before going down um, with the back injury. I, I like the idea of Stafford and best ball leagues and stacking him with two of his pass catchers, either Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, or TJ Hawkinson. Um, like you guys mentioned, I mean, he was on fire last year before he got hurt. Um, he finished uh, as the QB six in weeks one through nine. So, you know, as long as he's on the field, I think um, he'll be able to provide value in this range. Um, <clears throat> Big Ben, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting with him. His injury, I, I am a little bit more concerned with, with the elbow. But again, he, he's being drafted late enough where if for some reason the elbow flares up or he doesn't pan out, I mean, it's not the end of the world. You're not really uh, spending that high of draft capital, and you could just stream QBs at that point. But, um, you know, in best ball leagues, stacking him with um, a Deontay Johnson or Juju Smith-Schuster, I think, is the way to go to kind of boost his ceiling um, in best ball leagues. All right, one guy I want to ask about, and he doesn't really fit into any of these clean little buckets that I've created, but we have to talk about him, Ryan Tannehill. Uh, who seems as if he's poised, and the, the market is accounting for this, poised for some massive regression. Uh, he was number four in fantasy points per game uh, with 25.2 after becoming the starter in week eight last year. But, of course, that Tennessee offense looks like it will continue to rely on the running game. And after wide receiver A.J. Brown, um, there are some pretty unproven receiving options for him there. Ian, what are your thoughts on Ryan Tannehill this year? Yeah, I, mean, I think we already kind of started to see him regress in the playoffs a little bit. I mean, he definitely wasn't uh, resembling the same league-best efficiency thrower that he was during the regular season. I mean, it's just that, you know, classic seventh-year leap, I guess, Derek Carr is hoping to take this year. But I don't know. It's just a lot to get behind. This is going to be an offense that's run first regardless. So we have a guy that his efficiency is almost certainly going to drop because it's just hard to be that good again. And an offense that isn't going to let him throw the ball a bunch. So honestly, the only thing I want in Tennessee, I mean, okay if Derrick Henry falls a little bit that's fine but just give me all the A.J. Brown because I do think they're going to have to throw more and I think that low target total last year is you know uh, we're not going to have to worry about A.J. Brown being under triple digit targets in the future I think he's too good so I'm not buying Tannehill but they are going to have to pass more this year and yeah if there's a playoff team from the AFC that we probably shouldn't expect to get back there it's the Titans. Raybon what about you thoughts on Ryan Tannehill? I do like the fact that he can add a little bit on the ground, but if he throws more, I think you are going to see a, a decline in efficiency because he was just so he is just so reliant on uh, the play action game. Last season, he had a 143.5 passer rating on play action passes compared to 
Uh, still pretty good, 104.8 on non-play action. But you could kind of see the, the split where, uh, you know, four sacks in, in 78 dropbacks in play action, 27 sacks in, 212, uh, in uh, 239 dropbacks. Uh, so the sack rate goes up, the rating goes down, and, um, and the efficiency goes down. The completion percentage was uh, 11 points lower uh, in non-play action passes for Tannehill. So um, as he throws more, I think you're going to start to see the normal Ryan Tannehill again. But at the same time, uh, I think you don't totally discount him because of what he can give you for his legs. But again, this is all matchup based. And in week one, the Titans are in mile high. That's not a game that I want to be streaming my quarterback. So uh, not a guy I'm necessarily going to draft in a traditional one quarterback league in a best ball. Sure. Um, but um, in, in terms of like my uh, week one guy that I would be streaming, if I, if I don't get like a top six or, or I'll talk about a couple other guys I'm targeting, but if I don't get them, Tannehill's not going to be on my week one roster. Sean, thoughts on Taney? I consider him basically a poor man's Russell Wilson. He, he's going to have to be extremely efficient in a, a very run-heavy offense. And, you know, he has rushing upside, so it's, it's very possible. Uh, but he's going to have to maintain that to be, you know, put up QB1 numbers. Some red flags I have, um, obviously the 7.7 .7 touchdown rate should regress a bit. I have it closer to five. Um, and I don't think they're going to throw way more to kind of replace that regression the other thing is uh, next gen stats has the yards after catch above expected uh, metric and AJ Brown and Johnu Smith were number one and two in the league and you know you could attribute that to luck certainly and that's you know something Tannehill benefited from you could also argue that that that's kind of a benefit of how good play action is with a guy like Derrick Henry so I think it's sort of a mixed bag there but I think either way I think you know the yards after catch by some of these receivers that Tannehill is throwing to are going to go down. And that's kind of where the efficiency um, regression is going to come from. So, um, you know, he's not being drafted ridiculously early, you know, right around 21. So, you know, it's a fair market price, but I don't think we're going to see the same rates as last year, nor will he have more volume to kind of make up for the regression we're, we're expected to see this year. All right. Outside of the top 12, we have this group of, I think, really boring for the most part, middle-aged pocket quarterbacks, Jared Goff, as a number 17 quarterback off the board, Jimmy Garoppolo at number 18, he might be the one who intrigues me the most, but you know, still he could be caught in a, a run first offense. We have Kirk Cousins at number 22, Teddy Bridgewater at number 24, and Derek Carr at number 28. Which of those guys stands out the most to you as someone you'd actually want? I'm with you. I think it's Jimmy G. I think the upside is just kind of going underrated. I mean, we saw what Matt Ryan did in his second year, uh, you know, in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And this will now be Jimmy G's first full season that's truly healthy. I mean, like a lot of people forget, he was coming off that ACL tear from 2018 throughout last season. And we did see him, I think, get better a little bit as the year goes on. Obviously, didn't have to throw the ball much. I mean, fewer than 30 passes in 11 to 19 games. But similar to the Titans, I think we could just kind of see natural regression force them to throw the ball a little bit more, even if they're game plan continues to be run heavy there's no rushing floor I mean having Debo hurt sucks because outside of Kittle there's not that many uh, proven weapons but when you got Shanahan orchestrating everything I think we can worry about the skill position talent a little bit less and you know he had a ceiling last year already that I don't think people even kind of realize. Only Lamar Jackson had more games with at least four passing touchdowns compared to Jimmy G. So, you know, we were talking about these early season starts and if anyone's got it, it's Garoppolo because he's got the Cardinals, Jets, Giants and Eagles weeks one through four. 
I have him still in that kind of early QB 20 range, but as opposed to, you know, your Tannehills, Kirk Cousins, like Goffs, I'm actually like, we'll actively try to get Jimmy G if he's available that late. All right, Raybon, who in this group stands out to you? And, and even, you know, who are you really looking to stay away from? So I think it's, it's really tough with, with these rankings because we have our rankings and we have our best ball rankings. But in reality, I think I'm right with Ian. I think Jimmy G, because of that early season schedule, should probably be the guy that you target in that group. Because, again, if you're drafting from, this, the, from those guys, you're looking to stream the position. Um, and Jimmy G just has a dream uh, first few week uh, schedule. So um, it would be Jimmy G for me. And then um, as far as guys staying away from, I think Jared Goff, you still want to consider. I think he's a guy that in, under the right circumstances could actually be a guy that you keep for the majority of the season, just because the Rams attempted uh, so many passes last season and Wade Phillips left as the defensive coordinator. So their defense may actually take a step back and they, and you know, they're going to rely on that short to intermediate pass game, which leads to a, it could just be a perfect storm for a lot of attempts and, and Goff led the league with 626 or tied for the league lead with 626 uh, pass attempts last year. So I think Goff is another guy um, that I'm looking at as far as Bridgewater car and, uh, and cousins, those guys I think are going to be a little bit more on the lower volume side not really guys that uh, I'm expecting to be consistent week-to-week starters. I think Derek Carr could actually surprise people and put up uh, at least outplay Bridgewater and Cousins this year in terms of fantasy production. I think Henry Ruggs could have a potential Deshaun Jackson-like effect on the yards per attempt for Carr, maybe bump it up a couple of points. And, uh, and Carr was pretty efficient last year, uh, 7.9 yards per attempt, a 70% completion rate. So um, I think Carr could surprise, but still not a guy I think we're going to want to be starting week to week. Bridgewater, he's a guy you, you just bet on. You just bet on him. He's 28-7 and seven as a starter against the spread in his career. Not really a guy I want too much of in, in fantasy. And Cousins, I just think, is going to have uh, a bad combination. Low-volume offense, good defense. And he, he lost his best receiver. So not really um, too, too in favor of, of looking at Cousins. Uh, Sean, I, I want your thoughts on some of these, uh, some of the guys that we've talked about. But I, I also want to get your thoughts on Teddy Bridgewater. So uh, he's reunited with offensive coordinator Joe Brady, who uh, he's at least had some familiarity with uh, when he was an offensive assistant with the Saints in 2018. Uh, Bridgewater, even though he doesn't have a high average depth of target, he doesn't really attack down the field. He still has shown that he is an accurate passer. And I think he probably has a top eight pass catching uh, supporting cast. Running back Christian McCaffrey, one of the best receiving backs in the league. Wide receivers DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, very good after the catch. Robbie Anderson is at least an above average field stretcher. Uh, And then Ian Thomas is someone who has potential to develop in his third season. I mean, are we overlooking Bridgewater a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you make uh, good points. Uh, I agree with that. I think he, he does have the weapons, especially, you know, his, his low average depth of target. Um, you know, he's going to need guys to make plays after the catch. And he has guys that can. You know, he has Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Ian Thomas. And, you know, Robbie Anderson, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they fit him in. Um, but my, my main concern with Bridgewater is – you know, the Panthers are the only team that has a new head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and starting quarterback heading into, you know, 
uh, a season where there's essentially no off season. So I, I think out of the gate, they're going to struggle pretty heavily. And Bridgewater isn't a guy that people are necessarily drafting in redraft leagues. But as the season goes on, I think he's going to be a great streamer in the right spots. Um, this is a team where the defense is going to only rest even more. They're going to be trailing most games. They have the third toughest schedule, which is actually good for Bridgewater. It's going to be more pass attempts. So I think, yeah, as the season goes on, Bridgewater is a guy to keep an eye on if, if you're streaming QB. He definitely has the weapons uh, to make it happen there. All right, Ian, out of these guys, who's the one that you want to stay away from the most? Uh, probably Derek Carr, mostly because I'm a little butthurt. He blocked me on Twitter last week, even though <laughs> even though I deserved it, even though I definitely deserved it for making fun of. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Did I deserve it? The guy threw the, threw a ball away on fourth and goal last season. That, that happened in a real game. But regardless, I mean, okay, credit to him for putting up the efficiency numbers. Hit like last season was truly his best season. It wasn't his fraudulent 2016 MVP campaign. That that was ridiculous. But why did they pay Marcus Mariota? 17 million over two years if they really trust Carr. I think Gruden is tired of his offense going through tight ends, going through all this short dink and duck stuff. I think he wants to get back in the days of Tim Brown, Joey Galloway types getting 150 plus targets. Maybe Ruggs can pull that out of Carr. Like I see what Rayvon's saying from that perspective, but I don't know. Gun to my head, I think Mariota is the starting quarterback for Las Vegas Raiders by December. Ugh. Neither of them are guys like you want to go to war with, really. Like, you think Carr is bad at, like, you know, getting the ball out quick. Like, Mariota just stands in the pocket and takes a sack. Like, that's his whole game. Like, Gruden signed Christian Hackenberg once for, like, two days. And then released. Like, that's how, that's how, that's how bad it gets in, in Las Vegas. But, hey, I, it, yeah, I, I feel you. <laughs> Sean, one, do you have thoughts? I think I saw your, your brain starting to work on a, a prop. Uh, when Ian was saying that uh, he thought Mariota would be the starting quarterback in December. Thoughts on that? And then also thoughts on on what we potentially could see out of Derek Carr? Because I think he has progressed each year within the, the John Gruden offense. He has back-to-back seasons of 4,000 yards passing. He had a career-best eight adjusted yards per attempt last year. And he has had improved weapons added to the team this year in the guys that were mentioned earlier, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, third-round wide receiver, and then Lynn Bowden Jr. as an all-around kind of offensive weapon who looks like he's going to be playing mostly in the backfield, but who could be a pretty good pass-catching option out of the backfield. What are your thoughts on what we might see out of Carr? Yeah, you mentioned it. He, he had some pretty um, appealing underlying metrics last year, and that was without – really uh, many uh, weapons to throw to. And this year, you know, they bolstered it in the draft. Uh, And, you know, they brought in veterans like Nelson Aguilar and Jason Witten um, to at least provide safety nets, I guess. Um, But, yeah, I I mean, I would take that bet with Ian. I would have to have a caveat that it'd have to be a benching and not due to injury or anything like that. But I think he'll he'll maintain the starting job all year. I think he was that good. Um, and could improve this year. But, you know, he's being drafted as the 28th QB. I think that's right about where I would draft him. Um, he's he's an unappealing high floor type of QB. Whereas, you know, you have to take a guy like Kirk Cousins, QB 22, which um, I'm uninterested in, especially with that Stephon Diggs. So I think where De- Derek Carr is being drafted, I, I think I get behind that. You're, you're likely in a two QB or super flex league where you're loading up at other positions and you just take a guy like Carr, um, not expecting much. But yeah, you know, a guy like Henry Ruggs can, you know, elevate his ceiling a bit. So I, I can get behind it. I, I guess I'm less pessimistic about him than Ian. I'd probably set it at four to one odds that he gets benched at any point this year uh, for Mariota. Sign me up. Okay, perfect. But 
And I mean, I should say in, in uh, Ian's defense here, you know, word has it that uh, Derek Carr is very, uh, very trigger happy with the uh, Twitter blocks. That's, uh, <laughs> that's just, that's a reputation that, that he has out there. So, all right, let's talk about some of these young quarterbacks. So I'm thinking, you know, guys who are rookies, second year, third year, guys who are still, you know, ascending, you know, guys about whom something could still be expected. So Baker Mayfield as the number 14 quarterback off the board, Joe Burrow, number 15, Daniel Jones, number 16. And then you drop down a little bit, Drew Locke, the 23rd quarterback, Gardner Minshew, the 26th quarterback. And then some guys I really don't even want to mention, but technically they belong in this group. Sam Darnold at number 29, and then Dwayne Haskins at number 30. Some of those guys are kind of enticing. Uh, Ian, Joe Burrow, someone you're high on. Some of those guys, uh, not at all what I want on my team. But uh, Ian, talk about Burrow and anyone else who really stands out to you within this group of quarterbacks. Yeah, the two guys I'm targeting in this group are Burrow and Gardner Minshew. And I'll start with Burrow. We've seen six rookie QB1 since 2010. It's been Cam, Andrew Luck, RG3, Dak, Russ and Kyler and the two main similarities among that group is one they were able to start from week one and two they had at least a decent rushing floor 25 yards per game average in college Burrow checks both those boxes I mean average 27 rushing yards per game at LSU I know he looks to pass first I'm not saying he's going to be RG3 on the ground or anything like that but he can at least give you something more than you know Baker Mayfield's nine rushing yards per game or, or whatever it might be so loaded offense AJ Green is apparently back now Tyler Boyd John Ross uh, Matt, thank you for including Auden Tate in the show notes as a key part of this Bengals offense. That's my guy. T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard, just talent everywhere. And we got Jonah Williams back to maybe bolster the offensive line. Now, this would be a lot easier take to make if we had a normal offseason. I mean, as Sean brought up before in Carolina, I mean, you know, expecting a new quarterback to come in and just immediately gel. A little bit risky business. Obviously, some good defenses in the AFC North. But, you know, I think some of the things we mentioned with Bridgewater and some of these guys that have trash defenses and benefiting the QBs, we're going to see that happen with Burrow. And, I mean, this team was already – one of just nine squads to throw the ball at least 600 times last season. I think uh, the issue we see sometimes with rookie quarterbacks is not having the volume, but with Burrow starting in week one, I think they have the weapons to warrant getting the ball out early and often. I'm buying Burrow right along that QB1 borderline. Yeah, I mean, uh, Auden Tate, catch and fall specialist extraordinaire. Uh, hard, to, hard, hard not to be bullish on Joe Burrow when he's throwing to that guy. Uh, Raybon, who are you interested in this group of uh, – of quarterbacks for me it's, it's Joe Burrow and Daniel Jones uh, those two guys and it's for the rushing upside um, Gardner Minshew to a lesser extent he's like if I you know just miss out on everyone and just kind of a shot in the dark you know wait around guy um, decent week one matchup against Indianapolis but Joe Burrow and Daniel Jones are the two guys who I think have a chance if not to sneak into the top six at least unseat Josh Allen who's the consensus number seven guy I consider Daniel Jones kind of a poor man's Josh Allen. Uh, I know, Matthew, that you think Jason Garrett could actually hamper Jones's development and perhaps slow the offense down. But I look at the Giants' defense, and I see a defense that I think is going to struggle mightily uh, again this year. I don't think they have enough, um, you know, even with adding uh, James Bradbury, I don't think they have enough to um, really be even an average defense. They were – 30th of 32 last year with 28.2 points per game allowed. I think they're going to be right around there. Um, but also, we saw Daniel Jones put up three different games where he threw four or more touchdown passes, including uh, a five-touchdown game 
uh, in week 16. And, you know, I think that is something when you look at quarterbacks and you're trying to find uh, project forward, you want that kind of upside. You, Cause that is, you know, three, four touchdown games in, in 12 starts or in, in 13, yeah, 12 starts that could be a top six, you know, quarterback at the end of the day. And then Jones also had a multi rushing touchdown game. Um, he does add yardage on the ground. He had 279 yards in, in his 13, his 13 games. So I think Jones is a poor man's Josh Allen who can, who has more passing upside. And then Joe Burrow, if you've seen Joe Burrow play at LSU in his final season, you know, this dude has all it takes to be special. So it's just about um, how soon does it happen for me? It's not, it's not, will it happen? It's just how soon, because the first year he came to LSU, he was average. The second year, he really went absolutely berserk and, you know, he threw 60 touchdown passes. So it might be year two for Burrow, but he's a guy I'm willing to take the shot of because as Ian mentioned, guys drafted first overall at quarterback, they've put up essentially a median QB 10 season since 2011 if they've started at least 13 games. So looks like a pretty high floor and especially with that defense and Zach Taylor willingness to pass. The Bengals are in the top 10 in pass attempts last year. Uh, I think there's more upside than, than downside. So Jones and Burrow are the two guys that I'm almost always targeting. I almost never draft another quarterback uh, unless I have to because it's a best bowler or something besides those two. Um, but if I did, Gardner Minshew would be a guy just for the, the rushing upside and the, and the bad defense. You and Corner uh, diverge pretty strongly when it comes to Burrow. Uh, you're much closer when it comes to Daniel Jones. I'm entirely off of Daniel Jones, and I'm, I'm probably wrong. Like I fully admit he has the, the upside, right? He had, as you said, the four 30-point fantasy games last year as a rookie flashed tremendous upside, and he has good receiving weapons there, right? He has Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard. I mean, I'll say they're a little slot-heavy, but he still has good receiving options. Uh, Darius Slayton flashed as a rookie. Evan Ingram, if he's healthy, is one of the top tight ends. And Saquon Barkley, fantastic receiving option. So he has the potential. I'm just so down on Jason Garrett. His offense is going to be slow-paced. It's going to be running back focused. It's suboptimal. Even when they should be throwing, they're going to run more than they should. Sean, I mean, split the difference. I know you're, you're higher on Daniel Jones than I am, but what do you, what do you see here? I would agree with Raybon and Ian with their, their Burrow and Daniel Jones takes. I think it depends on the league type. Daniel Jones for best ball makes a ton of sense. Um, you don't have to figure out which weeks he's going to go off, but he likely will again. He ranks seventh in my best ball points added metric. He has that rushing upside. As Raybon mentioned, he can just go off um, throwing touchdowns. He has the weapons to do that again. So, you know, he's a guy I would target in best ball. Um, and Burrow, Again, he's a high upside QB2. That's the range where I'm going to be uh, drafting guys much higher than my median projections. Right now I have Burrow ranked 19th. Um, and there's reasons for that. But, you know, I'd be willing to, to reach and, you know, bet on his ceiling hitting more often than not. Um, so I can get behind the, the Burrow love uh, drafting as a high upside QB2. QB uh, but the one guy in this range that I, I definitely am interested in getting pretty late is Gardner Minshew. And it's because I could see him being like the 2020 version of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, the, the Jaguars are going to be terrible. They, they could enter, you know, tank mode right away. Um, and we could see Minshew just play YOLO ball with DJ Chark all year. You know, essentially this season's an audition for Gardner Minshew. So I could just see him playing super aggressive a la Ryan Fitzpatrick. He has sneaky rushing upside. I can't emphasize that enough. He, was, uh, he had the fifth most games with 30-plus rushing yards with six. I mean, that's more than Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott. Um, and Raybon always mentions, you know, rushing yards is 
one of the stickiest things for uh, QB. So um, given those underlying metrics and the potential to just, you know, play YOLO ball all year, uh, Gardner Minshew is definitely worth a flyer this late. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know if I actually want to hurt myself by talking about Sam Darnold or Dwayne Haskins, but Ian, is there, because you're an Ohio State truther, so there's, you know, the Dwayne Haskins connection there. Is there any reason to be enthusiastic about Dwayne Haskins and or Sam Darnold? You know, like a normal person will have them ranked easily outside of the top 25, probably closer to like numbers 29, 30, 31, whatever. Is there something that everyone is missing? No. <laughs> uh, you know, we got the snail gaze pace in New York. And then for Haskins, like, I don't think he was as bad. We saw at the end of the season, he wasn't as bad as when he started out. He got thrown to the fire against the Giants and Vikings. And then when they finally decided it was time to start him, hey, Dwayne, you know, have fun at Buffalo in your first career NFL start. And, you know, when the offensive plan was pretty much run Adrian Peterson up the middle to his heart's desire, like, yeah, you know, it didn't wasn't really all that conducive to a rookie quarterback falling out. So we did start to see some of that arm talent, start, you know, what made him a first-round pick towards the end of the year. But they didn't add any weapons. I love Terry McLaurin, but I don't know, maybe get in another decent wide receiver there at least maybe they use Antonio Gibson the best way possible but no it's just not a situation I'm looking to target real quick though I'm not buying Baker Mayfield at all this year I mean, I'm, I'd almost rather take a shot lower on those guys than taking Baker as the QB 14 or whatever his ADP is I mean we're just I guess hoping he goes back to what he was doing the second half of 2018 because Stefanski's coming to Cleveland that's gonna most likely be a run first offense now we know Baker has no rushing floor and like you look at last season Kirk Cousins set career high marks across the board and like every efficiency statistic and was the QB 19 in fantasy points per game. I mean, I think we would be thrilled if Baker could have that sort of season, but it's just not going to be all that great for fantasy success. So definitely not Baker. Uh, I, I echo the Gardner points just with that rushing floor and quickly with Gardner and I'll send it, uh, send the next guy, but starts the season off Colts Titans, not ideal Dolphins, Bengals, Texans, and Lions before that week seven bye. So don't be afraid to get Gardner as late as he's going and, you know, be ready to spot start after those first two games. Raybon, any thoughts? I believe we've talked about Drew Locke. Uh, any thoughts on him? I think you're, you know, like relatively around consensus, but somewhat pessimistic about him. Uh, I think I'm a little more optimistic, which means that uh, my enthusiasm tends to manifest in uh, exuberant rankings for Cortland Sutton and uh, Noah Fant. But where are you on Drew Locke? I just don't think uh, he has proven enough for me to for us to get excited I think we're excited for a combination of the fact that he's he's this unknown and the Broncos added some some sexy you know wide receiving talent in the draft but you look at the situation in Denver and they have a new offensive coordinator they have uh youth all around Locke you know Locke is only has only made five starts and then you have Noah Fant entering year two you have uh, Sutton entering year three you have two rookies projected to to start and if not you're going to have a couple of year three guys uh, in Tim Patrick and Deshaun Hamilton and, and I, I would hope that they don't get on the field but you never know with these uh, with these guys but uh, a lot of newness coming together and I think that is a quarterback with the abbreviated offseason that it could hurt and when Locke was in the games last year yeah they they won some games they went four and one but they weren't that great. They only outscored teams, but I think it was about a point or two per game. And Locke averaged 6.5 yards per attempt. Uh, he didn't really do anything that impressive other than that game where Houston just didn't come to play. 
Uh, and he threw three, 309 yards, three touchdowns, one pick, 22 of 27. But uh, for the most part, I think Vic Fangio wants to be a, a kind of run-first, defensive-minded team. And I don't know if with this abbreviated offseason, they're just going to let loose with all these weapons, uh, even with Shermer coming in and taking over. So uh, I'm just, you know, I get it with Locke. I think he'll have some value certain weeks when, for example, when they play the Chiefs, I think, you know, they'll have to score some points. But um, I, I'm not I'm not as excited about Locke. I don't think he's worth like a dark horse MVP bet or anything like that. It's just I think it's probably uh, still a year away for Locke, and we don't know if he's actually that good. Sean, I believe that when Sam Darnold was entering the league, I had him ranked as the number one quarterback in his class. Maybe I'm, I'm remembering that falsely, but de- definitely top two. Like, I, I had him up there. Uh, it seems as if I made uh, a grave error in judgment. I'm wondering if you have any hope at all for Sam Darnold. No, no, I'm not going to give an, any Sam Darnold talk or Dwayne Haskins. I'm with Ian. I mean – I'm trying to think of the analogy. So like you're in Vegas on a Saturday night and you're having dinner at a food court. That's kind of what it feels like drafting Sam Darnold, Dwayne Haskins. It's like something went wrong to get there. And you're either, you know, rallying or, you know, just plans fell apart and you're having to get one of these guys. I I do not go into a draft just thinking, Oh, I can grab one of these guys later. These guys are emergency break the glass. Something went wrong in your draft and you have to take these guys. That's all I have to say about these two QBs. Fantastic analogy there. All right. Uh, I want to hit on a couple of quarterback battles, especially those involving uh, two, two rookie quarterbacks. So the first one, we have Tua Tagovailoa going off the board as a number 27 quarterback for the Dolphins, going against Ryan Fitzpatrick. Tua is coming off a career-threatening hip injury that uh, caused him to slip a little bit in the NFL draft. Fitzpatrick has five years with new offensive coordinator Chan Gailey, so knows the system very well. Uh, and then there are also the decent receiving options, Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Mike Gesicki. Fitzpatrick has some continuity with them. I think Fitzpatrick has the inside track on this job, and I think that he might be good enough uh, and the team might be risk-averse enough to keep Tua on the bench for uh, a pretty significant chunk of the season. But, uh, Rayvon, I believe that you are higher on, uh, higher on Tua, thinking that he will probably get into the starting lineup sooner. Ian, I want your thoughts on Tua and Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I, I haven't ranked pretty low because I do think we see a split to some extent, but I give Tua the, you know, definitely he should be the favorite, I think, to start more games. I mean, 17 of 20 top 10 QBs drafted since 2010 have started at least 10 games as a rookie. So, you know, there are a few exceptions here and there, but generally top 10, especially on a team that, you know, they were fun by the end of last season, but I don't think they're going to you know, get started too hot out of the gates. Yeah, it's going to be Tua eventually. I just worry about how much fantasy upside he really has. I mean, the dude never even cleared – 50 rushing yards in a college game once. I know he gets like the Russell Wilson kind of comparisons for his ability to improvise and throw the ball downfield. You know, sacks count against rushing yardage. Maybe we'll see a a Josh Allen-esque rushing floor emerge, even though it wasn't there in college type situation. But I don't know. It's still an offensive line that they threw a lot of pieces about. I hope Tua's hip is doing good, but I'm I'm generally just staying away here. But, hey, if Fitzpatrick can somehow get that job and keep it, look out. Because once he got that starting job last year, from week seven on, only Lamar Jackson was scoring more fantasy points. Rayvon, thoughts here on Tua versus Fitzpatrick? Yeah, I think under normal circumstances, you would think Tua would be the guy. But the more I look at the fact that Chan Gailey, and you mentioned it, is – uh, the OC and the history that they that he has with Fitzpatrick, uh, I think there's 
well within the range of outcomes and it might even be the most likely outcome. Uh, I hate to say it for, for two or truthers, but that Fitzpatrick just starts every game because that's kind of been Gailey, like a veteran guy. That's kind of been his MO and it's his first year on the job. He, he might just go with the guy he trusts. I don't think anyone would blame the dolphins if they, you know, gave to a red shirt year. A lot of people seem to be concerned about his health. And I think even the fan base would kind of feel comfortable uh, if, if they did that. And uh, Fitzpatrick has, you know, in Buffalo, in New York, he's been the guy and he's actually had some pretty good seasons uh, under Chan Gailey. So there's a possibility, uh, a real possibility that Fitzpatrick just starts week one and starts every game. So uh, I think Fitzpatrick should be ranked higher. And I think that the issue with Fitzpatrick is, again, now we're talking about streaming quarterbacks for the most part, and they start the year against New England. So uh, that's not an ideal matchup, not necessarily a guy you want in your, in your line at week one, but uh, Fitzpatrick will have his days if he's the starter. And I think he actually will start, uh, start more games. Sean, where are you on Tua versus Fitz? Yeah, well, you guys actually um, helped me lower my Tua games played projection. I was around 11 and a half um, heading into our player prop uh, pod. And now I'm, I'm close to 50-50 split. And I'm not, I'm not really um, targeting Tua in any drafts. I think it's all about – you know, should you take a late round flyer on a Ryan Fitzpatrick in a best ball league to be your QB three? Um, I think, you know, if he's going to play eight or more games, he'll, he'll crush value where he's going right now. So I think uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you guys have mentioned it. He's probably worth the gamble. And yeah, the, the way the season's setting up, um, I'm not so sure the Dolphins really want uh, to a starting any games this year. So, you know, this is one of those situations where, um, you know, if you draft Fitzpatrick late um, and, and, you know, he's able to play more than half the games, I think he'll, he'll provide value best ball. And especially, you know, as a streaming option, um, you know, he's unlikely to be drafted in most redraft leagues. If he has a good matchup, I'm more than willing um, to throw Ryan Fitzpatrick in there, even in one QB redraft leagues this year. All right. I want to talk about Justin Herbert versus Tyrod Taylor. Uh, Herbert's going as the number 31 quarterback off the board in college. He was athletic, strong-armed, four-year starter, but he never really fully developed, never became the guy that he was expected to become. Tyrod, on the other hand, when he's started, he's been a high-floor type of guy. Let's just not count what happened with the Browns because that was its own separate thing. Uh, you know, Hugh, Hugh Jackson did what he does. But Tyrod has been a high-floor starter. Uh, he has a history with head coach Anthony Lynn from their time together in Buffalo, and he's been on the team for a year. So he at least has some familiarity with the players there and with the system. And I do like some of the players there. Uh, you have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, a wide receiver, tight end Hunter Henry, and then Austin Eckler, who I think might be you know just behind Christian McCaffrey uh, in terms of his ability as a pass catcher out of the backfield. So there are some options there. I think Tyrod is kind of intriguing as a, a high-floor, late-round option um, because that defense might be good enough to keep the offense in games and to help them win games. And I think as long as they are competitive, as long as they are winning, they have some incentive to keep going with Tyrod Taylor and to keep Justin Herbert on the bench. So I think I'm a little bit more enthusiastic about Tyrod Taylor than uh, maybe than I should be, or maybe than some other people. But Ian, what are your thoughts here on Herbert versus Tyrod? 
I think, I think a lot of what you said makes sense, particularly the point where he was on the roster last year. It's not like they brought in Tyrod to compete against the rookie this year. I mean, he is familiar with him, even going back to his days in Buffalo. Anthony Lynn was on that coaching staff. And you look at in those years, and I think we're underestimating just how much Ty, Ty God could help transform this rushing attack. I mean, I was looking at uh, some PFF team-wide numbers for yards before contact per rush, and, you know, kind of help show the offensive line. But Dual threat quarterbacks just provide this whole other look for defenses to worry about. The top four seasons and yard, team-wide yards for contact last five years are two Tyrod teams in 2015 and 2016, and then Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray from last season. So he truly does have that impact as a rusher. I mean, you look at the three years he was a starter, 568, 580, 427 rushing yards. So we know he's going to be giving us some fancy-friendly production when he's under center. How long can he do it? And I'm curious to get Sean Stott on the line. I think it's five and a half because you look at this start. He's got the Bengals, Chiefs, Panthers, great, great, great. At Bucks, at Saints, and then a uh, shout out to Action Network Stucky. He brought up a good point because I thought after that Saints game, like it could be toast. But it's a short week going to the Jets. Stucky's already, you know, he's got the air miles for every team. He's got, you know, short weeks and week seven already figured out. It's a short week before the Jets game. If Tyrock can hold on, he gets Jets, Dolphins, Jaguars, Raiders before the bye. He could freaking be a QB one by the time they get there. So you're setting the line. It was five and a half games started. Yeah. Oh, I would smash the over. Uh, I, I'm with Freeman. I'm with all you guys. Uh, he's my favorite QB three flyer for everything you guys laid out. He's in a situation where, yeah, he could play all 16 games. Uh, the, the Chargers aren't exactly a rebuilding team, and they, they should be pretty competent with him under center. And Justin Herbert's the type of QB that does need some time to develop, and you know the lack of offseason is going to hurt him there. There won't be any fans chanting, you know, like you mentioned. In Cleveland, they had the, the fans chanting, put in Baker Mayfield. Um, he won't have that element either going on. So I, I love Tyrod Taylor. He has the weapons. Keenan Allen will be open pretty much every play. Uh, Mike Williams will be an interesting fit. Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler. Uh, he has the talent around him and the rushing upside to you know put up borderline QB1 numbers certain weeks. So, uh, yeah, I can get behind taking a flyer on Tyrod Taylor in the QB3 range. And I would not be surprised if he started as much as possible uh, this year. So I have his games played at 10 and a half right now, actually. Rayvon, where are you on, uh, on Tyrod and specifically kind of thinking about how many games he might play this year? I mean, I know it's uh, a kind of loose, loose projection, very tentative, but where are you? I have them kind of split. I think I have Taylor starting like eight and a half and, and Herbert seven and a half or something like that. Um, but the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of pessimistic on Tyrod Taylor. And here's why. If you look at what Tyrod Taylor did and the success he had, it was pretty much exclusively with Greg Roman. Uh, he had his two best seasons in Buffalo in, in 2015 and 16 uh, with Roman. When Roman left and that next year, um, you know, his QBR dropped, his, his passer rating dropped, and he ultimately was off the team the year after that. Uh, then he went to Cleveland and he lasted three games as a starter. Um, and you look at – and there was a similar – kind of uh, scenario playing out with Colin Kaepernick, where from the start of Kaepernick's career in, in 2011 uh, until, you know, 2014, he had, he had Greg Roman there. And he had a QBR of at least uh, 60 each of those years. And then the first year without Roman, uh, it was 43.4. And the second year, it was 49.5. And then he was out of the league. Uh, perhaps for other reasons, we don't exactly know. But the point is, his actual play dropped off. Then you look at Lamar Jackson, who, um, you know, in year one was 
a guy who just came into the league wasn't really ready to be a, a quarterback in terms of the throwing aspect. By year two, he's leading the league in touchdown passes. Who's behind it? Greg Roman. I just don't know if Tyrod Taylor um, can kind of reach the best of his abilities without Roman because Roman's just kind of a, a special coach with that kind of, of quarterback. So um, I, I think that Taylor, he, they could win with him. He's not a guy who's going to make many mistakes, but he, his fatal flaw is that he misses reads uh, especially over the middle of the field. So that could hurt when you have a Keenan Allen and a Hunter Henry if you don't actually let the ball go when those guys are open. Um, so the, the more I think about it, I am a little bit pessimistic on Taylor without, without Greg Roman. Raybon, basically what I took away from what you said was that people in fantasy need to trade Lamar Jackson now before Greg Roman leaves Baltimore. That's what I took away from it. <laughs> nah, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that deep. I think Lamar is so talented. But what I'm saying is that Greg Roman with these guys, like Kaepernick was a, viewed as like a, a prospect, like a, a developmental quarterback. And so was Taylor. I think people forget that. At one point, he was kind of looked at as like this wide receiver Taysom Hill hybrid player in, in Baltimore. And then he came to Buffalo and all of a sudden we're thinking of him as a starter. And that was all Greg Roman, and it hasn't been the same since. So um, just something to kind of think about. Ian, any final thoughts here, kind of big-picture thoughts on these quarterbacks outside of the top 12? Go get Cam Newton and Joe Burrow. Upsides there, underrated floor, and they're just not costing much. I mean, Sean brought us up with a few guys. Like, you're not – I mean, okay, I have Burrow and Cam ranked a little higher, but you can get them closer to that QB 20 range right now. So, you know, when you're, when you're getting a QB that late, like it's not burning your team. You're using a ninth, tenth-round pick on the guy. Those aren't what kill you. It kills you when you're reaching on Tom Brady, you know, because everyone else in your league uh, wants these pocket passers that are 43 years old. So don't be afraid to wait, 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 and then try get, try get yourself a little rushing floor do yourself a favor all right Raybon we know that you uh, absolutely hate Cam Newton out of these guys outside of the top 12 uh, at his current ADP who's the guy you like the most Daniel Jones and Joe Burrow it's a tie for me both of those guys uh, I have them ranked eight and nine so it's a tie both of those guys you can get them outside of the top 12 okay and odds maker what about you uh, anybody outside of the the Vegas food court tier of Darnold and Haskins it's the Vegas buffet tier where just every week I'm streaming the guys with the best matchup, just getting the, the best of both worlds. All right. Uh, Ian, what do you guys have going on at PFF right now? Yeah, we got articles coming out pretty much every single day. You can uh, check me out on Twitter at iHeart. It's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. Finishing up my 20 kind of article series for July. Also check out the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We have guests on Tuesday and Thursday and some shorter team preview episodes out throughout the rest of the week. So, yeah, all things fantasy football. Thanks a bunch for having me on, guys. It was good talking to you guys again. As Ian said, you can follow him at iHeartIt's on Twitter. In our next NFL episode, we'll be breaking down tight ends. So be sure to check that out. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker, Chris Raybon, and Matt F. The Oracle. Please subscribe to and rate and review the show and listen and download on Spotify. See you again next episode. We're finished talking.